The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is Sunday. about the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, giddy up, welcome to another episode of Failure to Stop, the number one show where police meets society and culture. Rocking four shows a week still here in 2023, kicking it off every Tuesday night with Andrea Uplake for true crime news updates and a new true crime story. That show is called Night Shift. Every Wednesday, we're live to our paid subscribers on YouTube, goes live to, uh, goes to everybody else on audio. That is uh, last call of the day, giving you something else to talk about other than dead babies and domestic violence so that you don't sound like an asshole first responder to your civilian friends on the weekend barbecue every Thursday, our new show with Drew Breezy and Jonathan Bates, Com Center. Super excited. It's a call-in show. I'll make sure that I have you guys a phone number so that you can call in tomorrow and get ready for that. It is the launch of that show. It's a new release, all done by dispatchers, and it's going to be a rager. Call-in shows are always so fun. It's like a little bit of anxiety that goes behind one of those shows. And then Fridays are case breakdowns with Drew Breezy and myself. And this week, we're talking about on our case breakdowns, uh, the amount of criminals who have killed police officers this year that should have been in, in prison to begin with. So instead of police reform, maybe uh, the judicial system reform, because it's not working out. We're, we're going to talk a lot about the uh, breakdown, the uh, Pennsylvania officers who were tragically killed uh, by somebody who definitely absolutely should have been in prison. Also, the California incident that happened. So a lot coming out on Friday. If you want to support the show, please like and follow. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating and review. We don't ask much in this world for this beautiful free content. But if you want to support first responders, go and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us grow the show and it helps us to do things like our morale tour where we go live in different cities and uh, hang out with other first responders, all first responders, even firefighters. I saw that Jason Kiefer was in the, uh, the chat today, so uh, I'll always address that. But guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in to today. Today's show is brought to you by Rit Pack. Uh, matter of fact, I'm on the carnivore diet because daddy's fat. Daddy's gotten real fat over the holiday breaks. So I'm on the 30-day carnival diet trying to be like Joe Rogan. Maybe it'll make me a better podcaster. I don't know. But uh, I haven't eaten nothing but meat and cheese for like the last four days. Not happy. I miss my desserts. I miss salad, believe it or not. I miss fucking potatoes, strawberries, blueberries, cheesecake. You name it, I miss it. I don't want to put another piece of meat in my mouth ever again. But I realized today that also I don't have an extra mic because... My son has started his own podcast, and so I shipped off a vital piece of equipment to Virginia Beach for his co-host, uh, and I didn't know that until I got in this morning, so we're sharing a mic, and thank God that today's show is sponsored by Rip Pack, because if I didn't have the Rip Pack, my breath would smell like fucking bacon. I'd be blowing you away. Actually, I'm here with our special guest today, Wayfinder Allie, who is a survivalist, an avid outdoors woman. She's got a wonderful resume, done all sorts of stuff. It's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm excited to talk to her today, and we're gonna get through all that. Uh, again, if you want to like, if you want to support the show, please go and leave that five star rating review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. And uh, I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm glad it's I'm glad it's Wednesday. It's Hump Day. The week is almost over. I don't want to waste any more of anybody else's time. We're gonna bring in the guests. We're gonna be sharing a microphone. I mean, nice and tight in here, a little close. Audio might be a little awkward, but I I promise you. 
the content of this show is going to be par none. That's the right, that's the right lingo. It's going to be par, par none. Uh, I think that's the right word that I'm looking for. It's going to be awesome. Fucking cool. Uh, anyway, I might address the chats just a little bit. If you guys have questions, I'll be looking at the chats, but really I've got a couple of things I want to talk about with, with Allie here. I'm going to start it off. Oh, by the way, really quick in the news before we jump into the show, the mullet fund, it's still rocking and rolling. You guys are all assholes. Um, like I said, if it hits a thousand, figure it out. I'm hoping it doesn't, if it doesn't hit a thousand by the end of this month, I'll donate that money to some kind of first responder charity or something like that. So if you want to leave a super chat, go for it. Uh, Wayfinder Alley, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I know I made that very awkward yeah, for both job, of us. <laughs> uh, you have, you, you, you're kind of in the midst of starting your own podcast and we, we briefly talked about it before the show and I wanted to ask you like, okay, the, the premise is awesome. Right. And it was so interesting talking to you about it that. I'm like, fuck it. Let's save it for the show because it's that interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast that you're thinking about creating? Yeah, sure. So I've spent the last like a little bit over 15 years as an outdoor guide and outdoor instructor. And um, I, over the years, I've kind of realized like, wait a minute, I knew this as a kid. And then I was kind of convinced otherwise as a young adult. And then now that I'm a real quote, you can't see the air quotes, real adult. Um, I'm like, oh yeah, no, my childhood self was totally right. Humans are supposed to be outside. We're supposed to spend the vast majority of our time outdoors. Our bodies are literally made to be outside to like we have these beautiful, this beautiful physiology that enables us to really thrive in the outdoors and living in the boxes that we're living in. You know, we, we sleep in a box, we get up, we're in a box, we look at a box, we drive in a box to another box and stare at another box that is, you know, horrible blue light, right? So, so many of us are doing that. And we wonder why we have all these issues, all these problems, depression, anxiety, ADD, ADHD, all this stuff. And so I really, really truly believe that we need to divest from this global consumerist culture where we're just like, uh, you know, kind of mindlessly consuming everything. We consume media, we consume products, right? Whether whether or not they're good for for us or for what's around us, for our environment, for our kids. Um, and so the the podcast I want to start is kind of actual practical ways to kind of deep deep plug to pull ourselves out of that reinvest in community reinvest in in living a more wild centered life right like what does it mean to be human well what it means to be human is to to live in the wild right like we're you know that's where we're supposed to be and right now obviously we can't just all go fuck off and live in the woods right like that's really we can't all just do that all at once but if if we like you and i at our ages can start to create that path. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't really have this vision of, of what that might look like down the road. Right. There's not this like ultimate goal to reach. We don't really know what humans in the wild truly look like. I mean, there's some super tiny tribes here and there that we can observe. Right. But even they've been impacted by like, you know, deforestation and all that kind of stuff. Right. But we can start that path for them. And the way we do that is, is to start actually practicing now and working towards it now and and getting away from prepping and getting moving towards resilience and community and and what's actually real instead of this like like prepping is just another form of of consumerism right so that's what i wanted to get to is because we were talking about prepping before the show and like i think your take on preppers is hilarious i for one i know a prepper 
Um, and, and I'm glad he doesn't listen to podcasts. He's too old. He's been prepping for a really long time and he always brags about how much he's prepped and what ammo he's bought. Um, I'm, I'm sad to say, but when there was a zombie apocalypse and I'm trying to make my five kids survive, I'm walking straight to his house. I'm putting one in his eyes, between his eyes, and I'm taking all of his shit because that's what kind of animal I am. I'm kidding. I'm not going to actually do that, but somebody could do that. Somebody could do that. Um, it's, but I like your take on preppers. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So I make this joke that, uh, you know, when, when my ultimate goal is for when pe someone asks someone, Hey, what's, if you could only have one thing for this zombie apocalypse, what would it be that they just say my name, right? <laughs> like, like that would be the, that would be the ultimate goal, right? The, the best thing you can do is to build skills and community, right? Those things are not replaceable. You, you can't, you can't take that from me. Like I can teach you how to do something, but then you, you also have it, right? It's something that I've shared with you. And so number one, it's stupid to kill me, right? Cause I'm a valuable resource. And number two, if you are an asshole and you come over and you're like, well, I want your bow and your arrows and your this and your that like, cool. Okay, man, you, you can have it because I can go make more, you know, like I, I could give them to you or I could, I could teach you how to make them. And then when they break, you can make more yourself, right? Like it's like you can have the you can have the cigarette lighter, and I can take the cigarette light. But if I don't know how to make a fucking fire, the cigarette lighter lighter is only going to last me so long. Right. Like you want to have that, yeah. <laughs> you want to have that girl that's like, yo, I can, like, yeah, you can take my fucking lighter. I don't, I don't even need the lighter, to be honest with you. But I'm a lot more valuable alive than I am dead because I could teach you all sorts of things, and I, and I and I like that. And so I, I know that your podcast, you, you'd mentioned that a lot of your emphasis and what you want to talk about on your podcast is building a community of people who share the same skills. So when shit does have the fan, you're not having to do all the work yourself either that you have a whole bunch of other people community that you can almost like an Indian tribe where you can exactly. build your own. Exactly. Like the thing is, you know, I think that one sad kind of sad thing about modern society is we don't really, some of us do have roles, but we don't have roles the way we used to. Right. And, and we don't feel as seen and as valuable. Um, as we did when we lived in smaller communities. And that's really sad. And in a in a tribe setting, in a tight-knit community setting, every every single person is, you know, valuable and 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 part of that tribe, right? So if if like you break your arm, right? Tribes didn't function like, oh, well, they broke their arm. So peace out, like sucks to suck. Like yeah. they're now they're they're the, you know ball and chain. Like, no, they're a valuable human. They're going to heal. Right. And so they, there are other people to pick up that slack. You're not like a useless person because you broke your femur or because you got sick or because you have a baby, right? Like everybody, you, you do the things you're really good at, but you're not only good at one thing. So everybody can, can work together to make, to start, to help the tribe thrive instead of just survive. Right. Right. So it's like, yeah, like I'm the hunter, I'm the, the wood chopper, but when I break my arm, I become the basket weaver right. and I have to know how to yeah. basket weave right. just as well. Yeah. And like you, you know, you, you can help tend the fire, watch the babies, right? It's not like, oh, well, you're useless now that you have this, this injury. Or maybe, you know, sometimes people even are permanently, like people in tribes are permanently disabled, right? That happens. Like they now can't walk or can't see. It doesn't, they're not just like discarded into the wild, right? They're the wolf pack is if, if, if somebody in the wolf pack is crippled, like dead leg media is like on the, on the verge. That's why he's called dead leg. Cause he has a dead leg. Um, that second leg dies. We're going to leave him out in the 
the wilderness to just die alone and by himself. Um, and we will give him zero sympathy because that's how this tribe works. What can't, what (laughs) survival of the fittest? Um, what made you get into survival? Like what, what was there an epiphany? Did you wake up one day and said, you know what? I want to know how to survive and I'm going to start teaching myself. What, what, what steps did you take? Okay. So when I was really little, uh, I like, if you came up to me at like eight years old and said, what do you want to do with your life? Um, you know, there's the quintessential, like, I want to be a marine biologist, right? <laughs> like bullshit that everyone, every kid says, or like an astronaut. But I literally told, would tell people like, yeah, I want to live in the woods, like off the land with no electricity. And they're like, oh, honey, you'll get over that. Right. And, and so I believed them and I was like, okay, you know, what am I going to do to get the most free time as possible? Right. And so, and I was like into the outdoors. I, you know, I rode horses and I kayaked and I would like wanted to spend all my time outside. Um, but I listened to them. I believed them that, you know, I needed to fit in this box. Right. And that's in order for me to function in society, I had to do, I had to follow this prescription. And so I was like, okay, well, how do I get the most free time? And so I looked at my mom and my mom's a school teacher. <laughs> and she has summers off, right? This is like not a good good plan, right? But you look around pre-internet and like you don't see that much, right? And so I like looked around and thought, okay, well, mom has three months of a year off. That's pretty sweet. Most other adults get two weeks. So let's let's do that. And so my parents said, we don't care what you major in. You just have to go to college. Thanks, boomers. Um, anyway, <laughs> so I, I started out school as a, as a music major to be a teacher. And then um, I rode on the equestrian team in college. And this is like such a convoluted route to get here. But I um, the horses that we use on the equestrian team, during the summer, they went to the summer camp. And I needed a summer job. And my coach said, well, why don't you go, why don't you go to this camp and like teach horseback riding? I had no idea, no idea what I was walking into. Um, I thought, that sounds cool. Great. Let's do that. And I thought I was going to be teaching horseback riding. But what I actually ended up teaching and what what this camp showed me how to do was to take these challenges outdoors, right? I mean, it's it can be skating. It can be horseback riding. It can be rock climbing. And there's different – there's some nuance, right? You can learn different things from from different activities, but also there's a lot of overlap. So I learned I'm just using horseback riding or rock climbing as a as a tool to facilitate this, you know, social, emotional, personal growth. And so it's like, cool. Am I, you know, it's great that you learned how to tie in with a figure eight. That's that's awesome. I'm glad you learned that. But honestly, I don't really care if the kids remember it in six months. What I care about is whether or not they realize that they can move through fear, whether or not they have built trust with their, you know, with their classmates, right, who belay them. Like you're you're literally holding someone's life in your hands when you belay them, right? right. And so um, that's that's what I wanted them to get out of it. Like I, I can overcome this challenge. I can be tenacious. I can be brave with horses. I can be patient, right? <laughs> like horses require that you really just not get frustrated because there's this language barrier, right? It's just you and this animal that doesn't speak English. And so you have to ask patiently over and over again. And usually you're the one asking the wrong way. And that's why the horse doesn't understand you. And so the more fed up you get, the worse that horse is going to react, right? And so you watch these kids kind of blossom. And that when I was at that camp, I met all these people who were doing this year round. And I was like, oh, 
<laughs> I could be outside doing this awesome thing and make money from it, right? It's not a lot of money. Like it's really not a lot of money. If you, you're thinking about being an outdoor instructor, please don't do it <laughs> unless you like, it's your, just your calling. Um, and then, and I, I was really good at it. Like I was really good at taking, figuring, you know, figuring out how to apply the lessons and coaching these kids through these challenges outdoors. Um, and then I kind of realized like, Hey, this is actually not, it's not superficial, but it's disconnected, right? It's divorced from nature and from this deeper experience, right? Because when we go outside, you know, stereotypically, you've probably heard of leave no trace. You heard of leave right, no yeah, trace, yeah. right? Everybody's heard of leave no trace. And so now when we go in the woods, it's this like, we are separate from nature, right? We can't touch nature. We can't leave an impact, right? Like this place over here, this wilderness area, this, there's no impact allowed here. But oh, in this, you know, Clayton City limits, we don't care. Mm -hmm. We're going to build all these freaking condos, like whatever, right? And and we've just like created the, these weird lines, these weird, I don't want to say like barriers, but kind of boundaries, right? You know, natural, not natural. And so when you go out into the wilderness, like say you go backpacking, right? You take your plastic, essentially plastic sleeping bag, plastic sleeping pad, you know, all these like synthetic materials that are covered in PFAs so that you won't leave an impact on that space and you don't you get to interact with it in a really superficial way yeah. right like kids aren't gonna kids adults all of us i don't what what's the point of me learning all these trees other than to be like that's that right yeah. like you go on a hike with someone and you're like oh i know what this thing is right yeah. Who, like that doesn't it doesn't mean anything but when you start to engage with landscape, when you actually learn like, oh, the inner bark of a tulip poplar is like freaking phenomenal for building friction fires, right? Like it's it's great, um, makes really good bird nests, right? To start fires. Or like, oh, there's all of these, if I find a tree that's downed, I can use the roots for friction fires, right? Because it's low lignin. All of these things are now actually meaningful and you start to notice all the things that you've noticed before now all of a sudden have depth right? And everything is alive. You see how, how, um, abundant there we could survive out in the wild, right? People are like, Oh, what are you going to do? Eat acorns? Like, well, there's, there's a lot more food than <laughs> berries and acorns. You know, it's just that it's, we haven't been taught that stuff. We didn't grow up learning it. Being that I'm on the carnivore carnivore diet right now, uh, I would eat the shit out of an acorn. <laughs> if it's not meat, I would eat it. Uh, I've never had cravings like this in my life, but I'm committed guys. I'm committed to to shedding like 15 pounds. So, uh, at least as many pounds as I can in, in 30 days. I, I have a lot of questions. Uh, I love survival. Um, I've been to a few survival schools myself. I've always been obsessed with it. I've never immersed myself. It's definitely one of those use it or lose it type things. Um, that's why I, I constantly go out and make fires and I try to make fires from scratch. Um, and I think it's really important to teach your your kid, you can learn, a child can learn a lot about creating their own fire. There's, it's not just like spark flame and, and heat and warmth. When, when you create a fire, uh, you know, from a starter stick, um, uh, you know, not, not the match light sticks, but you know, actually, uh, you know, a friction fire, friction based fire uh, or building their own Dakota, Dakota fire hole or something like that. There's, I guess there's a lot of sense of accomplishment. There's a lot of steps, right? Like baby steps for starting with your bird's nest, your kindling, you know, moving up to bigger and bigger sticks and things like that. So th there's so many invaluable life lessons in survival 
um, from, from building your own shelter to building your own fire and all the things. Um, you do a lot of rock climbing. You do a lot of kayaking. You're not just like a one trick pony when it comes to survival. You're kind of everywhere. You, you've got water-based survival. You're great fishing. You're great at uh, skinning animals. Um, you're, you're great with a bow. You have a range in your backyard. Uh, what, what, what is like a day to day life for a survival, uh, survival instructor or survivalist? Like, what is it for you every day? I mean, do you, obviously you sleep in a house and shit like that, but you know, what do you recommend for that cop, that first responder that uh, is wanting to get closer to his wife and kids or, or, or his kids in general, have something to do over the weekend other than just lay around like a fat piece of shit. Um, what, what steps do they take to get to where you're at and what does life look like once they kind of achieve this kind of like survival mentality, kind of going all in on becoming a survivalist? How does that work? Is it a one-year process, two-year process, a lifetime process? What is it? Well, okay. So I think the first thing is to just start with an awareness of your of where you are, the landscape that you're in, right? So one of my favorite things is like I walk the dog every morning, right? Like something super simple. Um, and I really love watching how I go on the same route. And throughout the season, things are changing, right? And I'm noticing all those little changes. There's a bird I haven't heard before. What bird is that? Like why, why am I suddenly hearing it at a certain time of year, right? Or one thing that surprised me was there's a big – overgrown spot with honeysuckle. And I thought that they only bloom in like May, May to June. Well, there was another second bloom. I was walking. I was like, honeysuckle. It's like October, you know, what's yeah. happening. And so just building that awareness, like that's something that's pretty simple that everyone has access to, right? Like, yeah, like waking up and looking at the clouds and being like, okay, like those are serious clouds. Literally. I know we've got some kind of front something coming up and then, you know, you, and, and, you know, now that we have phone access, that's one thing I like to do with my kids is say like, okay, like look at the clouds. Let's see, what do those clouds mean? Let's go look at the weather right now. And, and kind of, we've kind of got a, um, memorization kind of thing going on there. But, um, you know, the one thing that keeps me away from survival is, is having a ghost bed. I don't know that I could just sleep out on the wilderness without my ghost bed. Ghost bed has been a loyal sponsor of the, of the failure to stop podcast since day one, since season one, we're in season three. Now we uh, love ghost bed. Uh, right now they're offering 40% off with that promo code Wolfpack. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack. Got those kit, that cooling technology so that if you, you get hot at night trying to survive, can stay cool on one of these bad boys. Valentine's day is coming and there's no other place. I would want to lay my loved one down. Then on a ghost bed, if I was going to cheat my diet and get in bed with a whole bunch of acorns, I'd want to do it in a ghost bed, baby. Right now, ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack gets you a bed that sleeps so good, it's scary. Actually, it looks like the promo code is up to 35% off on just about everything on that site. So uh, check it out. And if there's a better deal, because they're always running these their specials that I can't keep up with, you can always drop us uh, in the customer survey, ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack. Let me get back to Allie. Um, so some of the steps you talk about taking is just kind of like getting an awareness, even walking your dog. You can learn, uh, learn about uh, survival. What I think is, is really interesting. Actually, one of the questions I want to ask you is uh, acorns, the thickness of acorns. Do you, do you go on that for how cold the winter is going to be? Or is that just some bullshit? Now, listen, I, so for years I've heard it, right? The thickness of an acorn is how bad the winter is going to be. I have looked at the acorns every year. I crack open all sorts of nuts every year to see how hard the shells are. I've never told, seen a difference until this year. All the acorns were super thick and 
We're supposed to have like some kind of crazy Arctic black, like supposed to be one of the worst winters. Now it's been pretty bad everywhere, but here, but it's crazy. I actually noticed it this year. So I think our Oaks, um, in the Raleigh area, we had a pretty hard summer. It was really dry. Um, and a lot of the Oaks is this thing that plants do when they think they're about to die and they release, they dump more seeds, right? Cause it's like the last, Oh, I got to reproduce before I die. Right. And so hard. Maybe I'm going to die. Cause I'll, <laughs> maybe I'm going to die. Cause one, I'm a fucking Oak and two, like I've been spilling my seed a lot lately. I've just been giving my seed all over uh, fifth child on the way. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but, uh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you're not, I hope that's not in your, in your near future. Uh, I actually hadn't heard that about acorns. Um, we'll have to see. I do, I do know we had prolific acorn drop this year, but that was mostly because of the drought in the early summer and it was so hot, so early and so dry. Um, but yeah. I, do you go off of the farmer's almanac at all? I mean, like, do you, what, what, what's up with the farmer's almanac? Is it good? Is it reliable? Is it non unreliable? I think that most people use it as a guide for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Going back to what you're asking about, um, like getting a deeper connection and starting in survival. It, like, I think, you know, if you have access to, um, going on hikes in nature preserves or like parks and stuff, that's obviously a great start. Um, practicing building fires in your backyard or, you know, if you don't have a backyard, there are a lot of parks where you're allowed to do that. They have like little, little fire pits and things. Just get on YouTube and just start trying and start practicing. I mean, literally I learned honestly trial by fire. It was like, it was like, ha, oh, I didn't, sorry. <laughs> that was like a really bad dad joke. Uh, <laughs> I literally like my first, one of my first jobs outside of the horse job when I was teaching, I kind of ended up with a, a sea kayaking expedition job where I had to like lead sea kayaking expeditions and I could paddle, but I like wasn't really a guide and, and I didn't know that much. And I just, totally got dropped in the deep end, like way over my head. It was like, you know, kind of a last minute gig. My training was really, uh, left a lot to be desired. And I was like, oh no, this is super dangerous. Like someone's going to drown. And so I literally had to, you know, I, on my day off, I like went and got a bunch of kayaking, sea kayaking books and like read up on all these other types of rescues and just was like, crap. Okay. Like, let me teach myself all these things and build myself this survive, this rescue gear so that when shit does hit the fan out there, like I'm prepared and I know what to do. And it was really similar, like learning to teach. Like I had to just teach all these skills. It was like, Allie, we need someone to teach survival. Like, Oh, okay. Well I've built some fires before and I've built a shelter before. And okay, let me like actually get some nuance to this and learn a little bit more. And then I also kind of, I wanted the science that kids learn in school to not be completely I mean, it's not completely irrelevant, but like some, a lot of them are like, this is stupid. I don't ever need this. Right. And so it's like, okay, let's take some of the lessons you learn in chemistry and environmental science and all of that and apply them to fire building and shelter building. Right. And so then they learn to think about what they need in the moment and they don't get in this rigid headspace of I build this kind of shelter. Right. It's like the same thing with gutting a deer. There's like, I don't even know how many ways to do it. Right. But you might change the way you do it depending on how the deer is shot, right? You're going to change, of course, you're going to change, your shelter is going to change radically depending on what kind of environment you're in or based on the resources you've got, right? So like maybe you've built a shelter in a certain way for cold, wet weather, but now you're in a completely different environment and it's also cold and wet. Well, you've got to use what you know about thermodynamics in order to make an effective shelter with what you've got, right? So, yeah. 
Somebody in the chats asked, uh, what, what do you have survival gear in your, your vehicle? Cause you, you're an overall, and that's one of the reasons why I always like talking to you and, and hanging out with you guys. And anytime I, I run into you, I have a thousand questions. I usually run into you at like some kind of coffee shop or something weird, but, um, you're like an overall around survivalist. So y- your Instagram page is so much fun to watch. Cause you're always doing something crazy and fucking weird on there. Skinning so somebody weird. like, it looks so <laughs> satanic. I'm like, what kind of satanic shit is she doing today? Oh, cool. She's wearing the skin of a fucking young child deer. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but somebody asked in the chat and I know, I know you're gonna have a good answer for it. That's why I'm not putting you on the spot, but it's from Ben Marsh. He says, do you suggest having any survival tools in your vehicle? I carry some survival blankets, granola bars, water, and an aid bag in my truck. The storm that stranded people in Virginia worried me. Um, yeah. What do you have to say on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, my kit is going to change from season to season. So in the winter, I mean, it's freaking 70 degrees out here right now in North, thanks, North Carolina. Um, but typically, yeah, I always have a really solid blade. So I'm always going to have um, a knife that I really trust to, to do some heavy hitting. What Do you have a preferred style of knife? Is it fixed blade? Is it? Uh... Yeah. So I typically carry like if I'm if it's in my bag on like a day to day, like everyday carry. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> the EDC guys now uh, like my my the knife that's going to be typically in my like for lack of a better term, purse um, is usually a folding, like an inexpensive folding blade. But my my go to. So thanks, Travis. Shout out. He uh, bought me the bench bench made uh, Bushcrafter, which is a freaking burly fixed blade. Uh, it's it's you you can. Yeah, you're not going to hurt that thing. It's amazing. Um, that's like a two hundred dollar knife. So I do think, you know, a good solid fixed blade um, is a good survival tool. I carry. Um, Oh my gosh. I have a med kit. Then a med kit is completely useless if you don't know how to use it. So make sure you get some training. Um, Oh, you mean if like, I just have like band-aids and Neosporin in my glove box that, that (laughs) I'm not saving lives. Yeah. You're definitely going to save the guy at a, in a motorcycle wreck. I actually, (laughs) I actually really like it. So we, you know, when you're in the military, they have a, uh, uh, combat lifesaver course that, that, um, they would select two or three guys from each squad and they'd have to go. And that's like, you know, if the medic can't get to, you learn how to run IVs, you learn how to do some tourniquets, you know, you learn your basic, your basic things. And so, um, you know, we were, we were doing a, a convoy and the convoy got separated and we were desperately trying to catch up to the other convoy. And so we were driving a little bit more, like a little bit faster than usual. And, and it was, it was getting kind of stressful and a child ran out in front of the truck and we hit him. And so the kid went up and over, over, over the turret. And I watched, I was like, gee, we knocked his pants off. So we got down to the ground and his penis was facing the sky, but his face and stomach were facing the, the earth. You know, he, he completely turned his hips around. And I was just like, you know, and I was, sh- you know, I, I couldn't get my eyes off it. I was like, what the fuck? I've never seen a body twist like that. And they were like, dude, what are you doing? Get down, get your med bag and get to work. And I was like, there's nothing in this fucking bag that fixes that. I wouldn't even know where to start. I'm like, what do you think? You think this bag is just a bag of magic? You're like, hold on. Let me, uh, like, I'm, I'm a PJ all of a sudden. I'm a pararescue man because I have this bag on my shoulder. No, the bag doesn't mean shit if you don't know how to use what's in it. Yeah, and and that, that being said, right, like, if I don't have a bag, right, I can improvise the things that I might need that aren't in that bag or that I, that would be in that bag that I don't have. But if your car is completely empty, like, you know, you can't improvise when you don't have anything, right? So so I have, like, um, in the winter, I'd have, you know, a, some kind of blanket or sleeping bag or something that is warm enough that I'm not going to freeze if I'm stuck in my car overnight. 
Um, I've got some stuff to build a fire. I've got like, you know, epic bars and stuff like that. Um, definitely flashlight or headlamp. Headlamp I think is probably better. I usually have a headlamp and, um, a solar powered lantern. Um, yeah, knife. I have a, a saw actually. My car is like a little over prepped. Um, definitely water. Um, oh my gosh, what else is in there? I have like one of those little pop-up triangular things. That's a reflector, right? Yeah, so yeah. if I, if I get broken down, I'm not, someone's not going to hit me. Um, I've got all kinds of stuff in there. Definitely. I think definitely in the winter food, water, some kind of something to keep you warm. Um, a signaling device, right. Is really critical. Honestly, you could, you could kind of follow the, the 10 essentials and just alter it a little bit for your vehicle. So the 10 essentials, let's see if I can remember all of them. It's like illumination, nutrition, hydration, navigation, communication, protection, right? So that, that's, that could be a lot of different things to a lot of different people, <laughs> especially you. <laughs> you need to learn, learn, learn. <laughs> put, put a couple of condoms in there, you know, just to keep the gun dry. You know what I mean? So yeah, so protection could be knife, gun, taser. It can also, it's also definitely sunscreen, bug spray, rain jacket, right? Because if you get cold and wet, you're kind of screwed. Um, I kind of forgot where I was. Oh, navigation. There's a bunch of them. But if you just keep tools and repair, right? So if you break down on your car, you need some of the things, reasonable things to fix it, right? Yeah. If you just follow that. You're you don't want like the craftsman uh, toolbox that like, takes up your whole car. Um, I, you, you mentioned sunscreen. Now, um, what what is your philosophy on sunscreen and getting enough sun? I know there's like a, between survivalists, there's like a lot of, it's maybe like not a really point of contention. It's just like everybody has their own philosophy and theory about sunscreen yeah so as a natural redhead um i have gotten lots of sunburn and it really sucks and i'm also um i realize that again with the physiology of our bodies like we're supposed to be in the sun sun actually does really great things for our bodies right um we need it like vitamin d is a critical critical thing that we need and we get it from sun exposure so my wife gets plenty of vitamin D. <laughs> Shit, I should have said that. I, I totally set you up for that. Uh, <laughs> so I never use any of the chemical-based sunscreens. I only use the blocker style, which is um, either titanium dioxide or zinc oxide. Um, and I also only – there's also some um, non-active ingredients in some sunscreens that are not reef-safe. So I only use reef-safe sunscreen. And my typical – the thing that I usually do, I honestly hate putting sunscreen on. Like, ugh, it's just gross and sticky and gets everywhere and I hate it. That's what she said. Yeah, I set you up for that. Uh, you're welcome. Um, so I typically will time how much I'm how much sun exposure I get based on like how pale I am, how much I've been in the sun. Um, and so I'll say, okay, I'm gonna be in my bikini, whatever, tank top, whatever it is, for a certain amount of time. Let's say it's 30 minutes, and then I'm going to put sunscreen on my face and, and like my, my hands and anything else that's exposed. And then I'm just going to put on something that's block going to block the sun, like a long sleeve shirt and leggings or something. And then I don't have to put sunscreen everywhere because that's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and now, now there was another survival thing. I don't know if this was a survival thing, but I'd like to get your take on it. Being the tutor, an avid outdoorsman survivalist and, and you know, you, do all the, you do all the things, you eat all the, the right things. You're always checking labels and seeing what's on there. And it, which is, I think is great. Right. Uh, what do you think about sun bleaching your asshole? Remember the, <laughs> remember the yoga thing where everybody was like going out and like mooning the sun and trying to get that b hole fucking what's up with that? Honestly, man, I've, I had a 
acquaintance from when I lived in the Middle East who was like one of the first on that train, right? And would like post photos like with a with a little like sun over his butt so you couldn't see anything. And it was like him in like porn star pose, you know, like with the sun. I mean, I haven't done it. Um, I, 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 I would love to see some, some not see literal, like I don't want to see your tanned butthole, but I would love to know if there's any benefit. I feel like that part of our body is like not really designed. Like you really have to be, do some flexible ears behind your, I mean, knees behind your ears shit to like get that to happen. I feel like maybe nature didn't want us to be sunning our buttholes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, when it, when, that was like a whole celebrity thing for a while. Uh, I don't was on top of it. I would talk about it on several podcasts, but I thought like, man, how fucking like, I don't know. Like I've done some ridiculous stuff, but I'm not, um, Josh Brolin actually made like a, some pretty funny sunning his butthole videos that I, I actually thought were, were funny. Um, I, I, I for one, I'm not a, into sunning my butthole. Um, um, I like when you, when you talk about survival and things, where would you say, what, what do you think is the most valuable tool that somebody should learn? Like day one, if you were going to be a survivalist, you have to learn this like for, let me give you an example for skateboarding you've got to learn an ollie if you can't ollie you can't shove it if you can't shove it you can't kip foot you know so it all starts with the ollie special operations can't be special operations if you're not airborne so everybody's got to be a paratrooper first if you're going to be a survivalist what what do you have to have first to build on or you're just never ever going to be a survivalist i think you gave me a trick question because i think you you're, you wanted an answer that was a skill like a hard skill, right? Like you wanted me to say like fire or shelter building, right? But I think it's, I think it's mentality. It's like, you've got to have the right, they, they, there's this great book called Deep Survival. And it's, I think it's the, the like line under it is who survives and why. And the thing is, it's, it's all about your, your frame of mind, right? Like what, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about the situation, like you're never going to have all of the information that you need to make the best decision in the moment, right? We're just making the best decisions that we can. So having like some framework and some skills is super important, right? Like it doesn't matter how happy and go lucky I am if I can't build a fire and I'm in, you know, 12 degrees in the Sierras, like I'm going to get hypothermia and die, right? Or if I can't build a shelter. So th there's as far as the the thing that I think is the most important is is mindset, and then if we want to talk about a skill, um, I think probably there's a, a lot of argument over whether shelter or fire is more important. Um, I think I tend to lean towards the shelter is more important. So there's the the th rule of three, right? Three minutes, three hours, three days, three weeks. So three minutes is oxygen, three hours is exposure three days is water and three weeks is food, right? So th that gives you your triage, right? That's That tells you how to how to triage your situation. And so if I'm looking around and going, okay, the sun's setting, I'm gonna have to make it overnight. I'm probably not gonna, I've got, you know, critically, yeah, I've got very little amount of time before like I'm gonna die of hypothermia within a few hours, right, after dark. So in that lasting, in the last little bit of sunlight I've got, I'm definitely gonna build a shelter right? Because it's going to be hard for me to keep a fire going all night. Whereas I can build a shelter that will keep me warm for eight hours, right? With like not a lot of, basically no tools. So, you know, the, the, the whole fire shelter thing is like a point of contention, but I, just, 
personally <laughs> just learn them both is what you're yeah, saying yeah, like yeah. like yeah you yeah like get your shelter built but i like that triage thing i never heard about that the three hour um uh, uh three minutes three hours three days three weeks uh that's that's an interesting way to to look at um to look at survival i, I didn't even learn that uh, which is pretty cool and I, i've learned a lot of things I mean, it's been a lot of years maybe they told me and i just didn't listen uh i also I, I was I was in my twenties. I was in my twenties. Like I, my my son was like, "Dad, can I eat this plant?" I'm like, "Dad, I have fucking no idea what plants you can eat anymore." Like, I did have a good, um, I I did have a good memorization of what was good in North Carolina for a hot second, um, but I would not trust that now. I know I know a lot of things that you can't eat, which is pretty important, you know, which might be uh, uh, just as important. But I like what you said about mindset. Is like having the mindset to to be a survival because you know, obviously, first responders. Um, uh, mindset is, is, is really big. And I think first responders, you know, and their mindset is what gets them killed more often than not. Um, it's when you're, you're standing, uh, case in point, New Year's Eve in New York, you are on the outer perimeter of the, the events. So you, you weren't even inside of the event. They were on the perimeter, the outer, outer perimeter. And, uh, three officers were attacked by a man wielding machete and and uh two guys were chopped in the head and the final guy shot the dude in the, in the thing and so it's like you know i'm not i'm not you know by no means am i putting these guys down but you have to have a mindset that says i'm on the outer perimeter but a motherfucker could come at me with a machete right now like it's all about mindset and keeping your head on a swivel and, and like having a mindset of survival and saying like okay i want to survive i want to live through anything you know that's why tim kennedy is such a dangerous human being Tim Kennedy, because he's, you know, he's always had the mindset of no matter what I'm doing or where I'm at, not only am I going to live, but I'm going to be the fucking alpha where I'm at. So he's good in the cold. He's good in the desert. He's, you know, he's good at killing people anywhere, anytime, anytime, It's kind of like a, a modern day Rambo. Uh, Sillamander says, uh, if I use a mindset of learning to build shelter, cleaning up all the brush in the back 40 will seem far <laughs> more exciting. Um, Mer 530 says bears like hairy gay men, they will keep you warm and safe in their arms. I never know if Murr 530 is a boy or girl. We've discussed this before on here. They've told me what they are. But with a name like Murr 530, I've never known if I'm talking to a girl or a boy there. Um, tactical Cool Dude says, I want to start doing more of the stuff she's talking about, but I worry about bears and otherwise the bears smell the menstruation. By the way, for um, some of you in the chats have mentioned her hair. Um, and, and so for the people who are just tuning in, if you've seen the Disney movie Brave, um, I'm sitting next to the the actual character that they made the cartoon character after. She looks just like the little girl on Brave. She's got that wavy, fiery red hair. So uh, I, I just see a lot of people in the chats mentioning the hair. Thought I would address it really quick. But yeah, you wanted to talk about uh, the bears and other wildlife. So yeah, let's talk about bears. That's a question I get a whole lot. Um, my response to this before 2020, it has changed radically. My response before 2020 was if you just take normal precautions, meaning uh, you use a bear bag, like you hang a bear bag when you're on an overnight trip or use a bear bin, bear box um, on overnight trips, um, and just like, you know, make noise, don't walk. If you're in an, in bear country, you know, just don't be creeping around and you probably won't have an interaction with a bear. Bears are likely to just run away from you. Um, and then, you know, if you do get charged, especially by a black bear, just stand still. Like they're just bluff charging you. They're, they're trying to see what you're about. Uh, it's really scary, but they'll be like, oh, you're also a predator. I guess I should go away. Um, so during 2020, everyone decided 
there's nothing to do. Let's go to the mountains. So this, I'm talking specifically about North Carolina and Tennessee and like the Appalachians. So pr- pretty much a whole Appalachian chain. Um, all these idiots, no offense to people who have never hiked or backpacked before, but all these people started going out into the woods and they didn't take any of these precautions. And so they would just like leave their food in their tent or leave their food in their backpack. And all these bears started learning like, oh, we can harass people for food. And now bears will literally come up to people and take their backpack and eat their food that's in their backpack. Like that is not okay for a 500 pound bear to just casually be like, yeah, I'm gonna take this. Like that's not, that's not, that's not a good place to be. Which is what we've done with all of our criminals actually. So all the criminals that we face as law enforcement, we've all just decided that you can do whatever the fuck you want. So now criminals can just spray paint because there's no repercussions. So now black bears get to do whatever the fuck they want. Criminals get to do whatever the fuck they want too. Like since 2020, we just decided if you want to burn the city down, go ahead, burn it down, baby. You want to uh, you want to spray paint graffiti? Fuck the police in the middle of the road. We'll make it a mural. We'll paint a fucking mural around your fuck the police to make it even cooler to really fuck the police. So we, we're allowing black bears to get away with shit, and we're allowing criminals to get away with shit. Yeah. So I mean, like the solution, right? Is that, um, and I don't want to draw any parallels because uh, criminals are also humans, and you're also human, right? So this is a little bit different scenario. But we need to retrain the bears, right? And the humans. Yeah. So we got to retrain the bears. Like, you know, I, I think I actually had just a spank them. Just like, <laughs> just come here. Let me yeah. come on over here. Let me let daddy give you a spanking. So, yeah. So I actually had this thought when I was um, probably early 20s and learning about Leave No Trace and the whole bear box thing. And I was like, man, what did native tribes like? How did they keep the bears from, you know, coming into their camp and stealing all their, their food? Like they didn't have these sophisticated plastic bins that the bears couldn't get into. And it's like, oh, what what did what did the Native Americans do to bears? They ate them. Right. Bears were like, oh, humans eat us. Maybe we shouldn't just like stroll through their camp. Right. And so I think like obviously I'm not advocating for us to go shooting bears right but i do think that we need to show the bears like hey you need to not interact with humans so i would recommend um if you're in an area that's highly go ahead punch them you know if you see a bear walk up to it and punch it in the face as hard as you can because we need to put these bears straight we need to set them straight like we're the fucking boss we're the human i'm the apex here and you punch it right in the fucking nose i mean i think i think bear spray might be more effective that's like it's like did you know bear spray is a uh, 2% capsaicin? I think the highest law enforcement is allowed to carry is 1%. Yeah. It's like, and it's, if you, I wouldn't recommend like practicing with it cause they're kind of pricey, but you get like 14, 15 feet of reach with it. Um, so if you're in a highly populated area, like I live in Raleigh and I hike within the Piedmont and in the Piedmont, I never carry bear spray. I'm not worried about it. Um, but if I am up in the mountains when I know they're going to be really active, then I'm going to carry bear spray. And if a bear gets too close to me, like closer than I'm comfortable with and is acting, you know, if they're just like strolling past me, I'm on a trail and they walk past me, like in front of me, a few hundred, you know, 30, 40 yards away, whatever, fine. But if it's actively like approaching me, I'm going to spray that bear. That bear needs to learn like you don't approach humans. Humans are not, not a good, there's not a good outcome for this, Right. Um, but I, if you're in an, in a like more populated area and you're going to a st- local state park or national for, or, you know, state forest or something, you're not, you're not super remote or you're not in an area where there's been, you know, reportings of problems with bears. You just shouldn't worry about it. My question is, my question has always been this in national parks. Like we're allowed to carry some like kind of bear defense, right? Like if you go hiking, you can carry bear spray. 
what do you carry for fucking serial killer defense? Being that I'm all into true crime, um, why can you not carry a firearm for self-defense in a national force? Like, I'm I'm more scared of a serial killer, like a Gabby Petito situation, than I'm actually scared of a fucking mountain lion. Um, and the only thing that's going to put my brain at ease for that, you know, we talk about the um, the murders in Indiana uh, on the bridge murders where the man just, appro- you know, they're hiking and and he approaches them with a gun and he says, down the hill, girls. And he murders and butchers both the girls. But he had a fucking gun. If that girl had a, uh, uh, with the knife that you were talking about earlier, the Bushmaster fucking 3000, um, he doesn't care. He'll shoot you. You know, like I want to carry a fucking anti-serial killer weapon which would would be a gun um and i do you know i don't i mean what if I'm, i've never come in contact with a force ranger on the trails anyway that's ever searched my shit but uh what what is your what is your take on on protection against serial killers while you're out in these fucking woods so you know it's funny because everyone asks me like oh well, you know how do you sleep in the woods and blah 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 like aren't you nervous honestly like i'm i'm a little bit more nervous in my own town like here than I am with, you know, you, we have next door now. I hear about like some random guy like knocking on someone's door at two in the morning, right? I hear about that now because of next door. So I know it's prevalent in my area. Um, and so I'm actually more nervous here in the front country than I am in the back country. If I were on a trail and I'm, I'm always, typically I'm with a group of people, right? Because I'm leading a trip. And so there's some safety in numbers there. When I do go by myself, I'm usually not on like the AT or the PCT or these big trails where um, people who are predators are likely to be because there's a higher, there's a higher amount of traffic, right? So the thing that I'm more worried about is like running into a poacher because I'm going to areas that are technically like nature preserves or um, state forests where hunting is allowed. And so my concern is that like, I'm gonna come upon a poacher and they're gonna, or someone who's like on drugs or something and and I'm gonna have an altercation, right? And so it, you're right, like not having a firearm in a national, for, in a national park, right, is, is frustrating because you feel like there are predators here and I can't do anything about them. Mm-hmm. The good news is that in most, state forests and national forests you can carry. Um, and I honestly think that, um, you know, in a situation like there's a couple murders on the AT, I think the guy had an ax. Um, I'm not sure if they were in a national park or if what, what, who had jurisdiction over that part of the trail, but, um, if it's buried in your backpack, like you're not, it's useless, you know? So I think, you know, if that's something that you're concerned about being a single female, like I hike in areas where Number one, those I've named the issues that I'm concerned about. There are also packs of feral dogs. And so like that, they're very dangerous. And so, you know, I have a, you know, I carry a pistol a lot of times, especially if I'm concerned about running specifically in an area where I know there's a pack of wild dogs. I'm just not going to mess around, you know? Yeah. I like, I I never, I never go anywhere without, without my firearm anyway. But, um, I I always, uh, especially when I'm, I'm hiking around. I mean, I even carry my gun when I'm jogging. Um, Mer530 says, yeah, when I travel back to the Bay area, I can still carry legally, but I, uh, don't even tell my friends because it's such an alien notion to them. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if if you come across me and I'm not carrying, um, you know, it, it was probably more, like people don't even ask if, if I'm carrying anymore. But uh, um, in Hawaii, we had fanny packs. Yep, fanny packs. Yeah, that was just a great way to to carry your firearm. Um, 
where is your what's your favorite survival movie if, if there is a movie that kind of showcases survival i have one of my own i don't want to say mine because I, I don't want you to like feel like like maybe i don't want to steal it if it's yours but do you have a favorite survival movie? mine is the edge did you ever see the edge with alec baldwin and oh God, um uh he's like if one man can do it another man can and today we're gonna kill the fucking bear that's uh, my favorite survival movie of all time it's so ridiculous, though, with the bear claw and everything. I love it. Oh, okay, so if you kill your own bear, though, you're fucking taking the call. Right? You wanna, you wanna hear? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm gonna take the skull and wear it. Sorry, I'm real weird, y'all. I would take the skull and wear it as a headdress. Um, yeah, catch me walking down the street in Clayton like <laughs> the bear cloak. Anyway, um, okay. So th- before we get off the topic of national parks and firearms, I want to tell you some shit that's gonna blow your mind. Okay, so I led wilderness horse packing trips in the Sierras along the PCT, the Pacific Coast Trail or Pacific Crest Trail. And we were in and out of national forest and national park and horse packers are allowed to carry a pistol. And it is not for what you think. Well, maybe it is for what you think it's for, but it is unloaded and in like deep in a, in a bag on, on one of the mules or one of the horses. And its purpose is, yeah, dark is in case a horse or a mule is, you know, injured beyond saving, we can put that animal down, right? Um, Because fatal plus is the drug that you use and only veterinarians can carry it. And like, honestly, I don't want anything in a syringe that like I could accidentally poke someone with that's enough to kill a horse, right? So a a pistol is an effective way. So here's what's really going to blow your mind. So if a horse dies on the trail, there are three options. Okay, number one, hopefully, it dies in a remote area, like, you know, far enough off a trail, remote enough spot, you can just leave it, right? Let the lions and the bears and the, you know, coyotes get to it. Um, I don't think there's wolves in that part of California. Um, Second option, you have to quarter it up and carry it out, right? Brutal. Okay. Third option. This is absolutely crazy. You call the park service, they come and they pack the body full of dynamite and blow it up. Yes, dude. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Like, that's the kind of shit that I want to get into. (laughs) I want to be that that job, job, dude. Like, that's the shit. Like, I can wake up. It's like, dude, what'd you do today, man? Blew up fucking 10 horses today. (laughs) Fucking awesome, man. Like, I overpacked this one. I seen its leg, like, halfway up the fucking mountain. It was so dope. Um, Dang, that's crazy that that you would have to, to... I mean, I guess I don't think about it. If you're doing these long ass excursions with mules and horses, I guess, yeah, you'd have to put one down. We carry one in the office. Um, we carry one in the office uh, for dead leg media. Um, and when it gets too much for him, uh, we, we've got one of these, these pistols and it's packed, it's packed far away, but, um, one day and, and I'm going to quarter him up and carry him, <laughs> carry him with, but I'm going to carry him with me forever. <laughs> He'll just be quartered up in my, in my freezer. I just get, uh, dead me- dead leg media carries way more weight than I ever did for this show. So uh, I, I appreciate him, and and, and um, I don't know. I'm only teasing with him, but uh, that is, that is something that you don't that you don't really take into consideration. There, um, you know, uh, do you have a wild moment um, where you kind of face like this is life or death right now, and I've got to make some, I got to make the right decision, or or is your planning just so perfect that you haven't run into anything like that? Okay. So yeah, no, it's definitely not that perfect. Um, 
anytime you're dealing with weather, anytime you're dealing with animals, I mean, hell, anytime you're dealing with people, right? Like people have, you know, huge emotional panic attack breakdowns, lose their shit in the wilderness. It doesn't happen that often. Um, animals will, you know, spook at things, injure themselves. Um, leading sea kayaking trips is also a shit show because, you know, you're paddling a little tiny kayak. And if all of a sudden the wind decides to change or a storm comes, like you're just this tiny little human and paddling against 30 knots is like not, you're not making, you're just on a treadmill. You're not going anywhere, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. I've had, I've had moments where it was like, Hey, I think one of us, you know, if one of us flips over, I don't know if I can rescue them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I can get them back in their boat without flipping over myself. Right. And I don't know if I can get them back in their boat and get them to sh then get them to shore. Right. At that moment, you just paddle up next to them and hit them on the head with the oar and just say, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. It was your time. No, I, the, the, there's one instance when I was really, really new to paddling and I had a trip and we were in like four foot following chop, which like sees kind of, you know, they can roll, but we're in the sound. And so the distance, the wavelength is really short. So four feet in a sea kayak is really a lot well over your head. And it's so short that the wave is really vertical. And so they kind of just like break over your shoulders, right? And fall behind you makes you feel really unbalanced or unstable. And so I, we were where we were heading, there was a park service boat. And so I thought, I realized like if someone flips, like I, I, there's nothing I can do. So I paddled ahead of my group, landed, got to the park service, like headquarters, it wasn't a headquarters, but like their little outpost. outpost thing. And literally said, Hey, if I come run and get you, like we, I need you right now. Like you need to get, have that boat key and have your PFD on like ready to go. And I stood on the, like the, the dock with, with binoculars until my group landed when they're not that far behind me. Right. But it's like, I knew that this is beyond my ability level at this point. Um, and I fig figured my best bet was getting on a boat and going and saving them. Now, how often do you, do you go on these excursions? I know, I mean, you've been doing it for years and years and years and years. I mean, are you still actively going on a lot of excursions, still taking people out? What do you have planned in the new year? Um, I know that you're working a lot with kids and you're instructing people at these, you know, various meetups and camps, things like that. You got anything big for 2023? Yeah, I do. So um, I started my own company um, in 20, oh, I, I think 2021. Um, and then I I took a job uh, climbing trees with chainsaws doing arbor work for a year. And I thought I was going to have enough free time to work on my company. And that didn't really pan out or branch out, I should have said. Uh, yeah, it was. I was so, so tired every day. So um, now that I'm not doing that, um, I'm only working kind of part, like mostly on the higher edge of part-time so I can focus on my business. So my company is called Wayfinder Outdoors. It's pretty easy to remember because it's just like my Instagram handle. I do have an Instagram. Um, so I'm teaching a couple new classes um, that I'm really, really excited about. And I, I do have a fleet of sea kayaks, so I do lead trips. I think one that's a little bit more accessible to most folks instead of a five-day trip, it's three days. Um, and you get to go see the wild ponies on Shackleford and, and still have like a sea kayaking experience um, and sleep on an uninhabited island and all these things. But it's not like a five day commitment. Um, but the one of the cool classes I'm really excited about that's new for 2023 is um, tree climbing for deer hunters. So I teach people how to climb a tree like an arborist. So you need you don't need all these like 
if you look at, at saddle hunters, they use these huge metal steps that like bolt or that strap to the tree and they're really expensive and heavy and loud. And it's like, why don't you guys just take a rope and a harness? Like that just, it's so much simpler. Right. So, um, I'll be teaching that. I've got a really cool course called stealth craft and it's basically, um, how to move through the landscape, you know, quietly and, and how to blend in and how to read how to read landscape, right? And figure out, okay, this is where the deer are going. This is where the, how they're moving through the, through the woods, how to camouflage yourself, how, how other animals see, right? Like humans, we have great eyesight, right? It's harder to, it's harder to conceal yourself from a human than it is from like a deer, right? So yeah, deer can't see color that well. So like the, it's funny. So the camo that everybody wears in the woods, I think is beautiful. Like I love that pattern, but and it's really, really effective. Like the hunting camo, right? Like mossy oak or um, all that is really effective for human eyes as well. But all you really need to do for deer is just break up the bulk, the big, like bulky parts of your body, right? So the deer could see me as this one big unit. And so you could have on blaze orange camo. And as long as it's that pattern, they're not going to be able to really see you. But I could spot you because I can see that bright orange color, right? Um, yeah. So learning all of those things, practicing those kinds of movements, it's a really fun class. Dude, we should put together uh, for the summer, um, maybe an excursion for like a Wolfpack meetup, uh, you know, maybe get for, you know, like, you know, get on, on board and maybe we'll all try to, to go out and, and do one of these trips with a couple of the Wolfpack here. Um, Ali, we appreciate you spending your uh, afternoon with us. And um, real quick, one more time, where can they follow you, find you, book a trip with you, book a class with you? Um, my personal Instagram is Wayfinder Alley. My business Instagram is Wayfinder Outdoors. And my website is wayfinderoutdoors.com. Perfect. And uh, don't forget today's sponsor, uh, Rip Pack, as well. Um, Rip Pack is a great way to brush your teeth without using water, without using a toothbrush. Um, it's like Pop Rocks in your mouth, invented by Marine. You just swish it around in your mouth for a minute, spit it out, save my ass today so I wasn't smelling like bacon up in this bitch. Uh, Dead Like Me says, if the Wolfpack wanted to take some classes, could you point us in the right direction? She just did. Yep, sorry, I read that late. Um, all right, guys. Well, hey, we appreciate all the guys in the Wolfpack. Uh, join tomorrow, Thursday, for uh, tomorrow night, man. It's going to be absolutely insane. I'm, I'm excited for the call-in show and then see what you guys uh, see what you guys come up with this week. Until next time, guys, guns up. Giddy up.